began last week working through the Gospel of Luke and looked in chapter 1 at the Annunciation of John's birth. And this morning, I want us to consider the Annunciation of Jesus' birth that is provided for us in Luke chapter 1. And so I invite you to open your Bibles there with me. I have uh, determined uh, to spend the rest of my life being a pot stirrer. Any of you uh, want to join me? A pot stirrer, not in the sense of stirring up trouble, but like Luke, stirring up faith. That's why he writes his gospel in the first four verses. He says he writes to his purpose to set a narrative, to put together an account regarding the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ that men like Theophilus and others it says in verse 4, so that they might enjoy greater certainty in their faith. Greater certainty in their faith. So a gospel pot stirrer of faith that God might somehow work through my life and yours and all of us together as the Hillcrest uh, Church family to help other people discover and find greater and stronger renewed faith in Christ. If you remember the writer to the Hebrews said that it's impossible to please God apart from faith. You know, the Bible also says whenever we know to do anything and we don't do it in faith, it's sin, which is a very convicting verse. But uh, I invite you to read with me in Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26, as we consider the annunciation, the announcement of the birth of Christ. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with, with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, 
Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your scripture, your word, and for the hope that we find therein. Hope for today, for tomorrow, hope for all eternity. We pray this morning that you would work within us, filling us with all joy and peace, wherein we become hopeful people, abounding in the hope produced within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Surely a hope that sustains us and prevents us from overwhelming despair and disappointment in life. And this is our prayer we make in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you, while reading this text, felt perhaps a sense of wonder or a sense of awe or a sense of mystery as you consider what Luke has penned for us? I have to confess, sometimes the Christmas story and the songs that we sing about can become very familiar, can't they? And can lose that sense of awe and mystery, producing a spirit of worship within us. And I was struck again as we begin to study this text of the, the wonder of this story of what God does. And so if you'll keep your Bible open, I'd like to invite you to just walk through the text with me as we consider a few things. And I want us to uh, raise the question, the idea of the reality of faith, the reality of faith even when we don't know all of the facts. The reality of faith, even when we do not have all of the facts, or faith without all the facts. Practically, as you and I live, we are to continue to believe and to trust in the Lord, even when we don't understand all of the twists and turns of life. That we would continue to believe and trust in God, even when we don't understand the whys. Why did this happen? Why did God allow this? That we would continue to believe and trust in God, even when we don't understand the hows. How is this going to work out in my future? What is life going to be like? What's tomorrow hold, next month, next year, that we continue to believe and to trust in the Lord. If you remember Luke's purpose in writing this gospel account, his aim is to inspire greater faith in us, greater certainty regarding the person and work of Christ. And so I would first point out in verse 26 and 27 that Luke introduces Joseph and Mary. Six months have passed since that angel made that first stop in to Zechariah and Elizabeth in Judea. Six months, and now this angel makes a second visit. This time not to Judea, but a few miles north thereof, to a region of Galilee, to a little small town called Nazareth, kind of a little hole-in-the-wall community with a bad reputation. You remember a common view regarding Nazareth in John 1:46? Is there anything that can come out of that place? Anything good? Is it possible for it to come out of Nazareth? And it was there that Gabriel, this angel, makes this annunciation to Mary. In verse 27, he introduces, Luke does this young Jewish woman, describes her as a virgin. 
betrothed, engaged to a man, young man named Joseph. Their engagement meant that this betrothal meant that they were legally bound together. And the only way to to call off this wedding was through the legal means of filing for a divorce. Luke paints the picture of Zechariah and Elizabeth who were well advanced in years. They were old. The King James says they were stricken in years, living into the fourth quarter of their life. And they, Elizabeth and Zechariah, she had been barren previously, unable to ever conceive and give birth. And now this older woman, stricken in years, is in her second trimester. They in their older years are finally having a child. You remember a son named John, the forerunner of Christ, and his purpose of their boys, their son's life, was to lead God's people to repent and to be saved and then to be an instrument of restoring families. Wouldn't that be a great purpose for your son? Wouldn't that be a great purpose for your daughter's life? to be used of God to lead other people to repent and come to faith in Christ and to be a blessing, a restorer to families. And then in that same picture, Luke fills the canvas with another couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth living in their last days, these latter years, now Joseph and Mary, Mary whose life is just beginning together. Mary is about to conceive and give birth to a son with even a far greater miracle than was about to transpire in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were well past childbearing years, and Mary is a virgin, never having been intimate with any man, certainly not with her fiancé, and she's about to give birth to a child. We need not overlook that God works in all places, in the Judeas and in the Nazareths, and he works in all ages of people, young and old alike. I wish someone had encouraged me in a greater way as a young, young man, as a young child in my early years, even as a, as a student, to start serving God today. That you didn't have to wait till you're out of high school or out of college or later on that you could really get serious and start living for the Lord, but to do so at an early age. Listen, if you're a if you're an elementary student here today, maybe first grade or third grade, or you're in the fifth grade, or you're a middle school student or a high school student, listen, start living for Christ today. You can live for the Lord Jesus today. And I'm going to say something to you. God can use you as a young person to make a difference in someone's life. If you'll live for Jesus and you'll talk about Jesus and you'll pray for people. And I likewise also encourage some of us who are getting some years under our belt. Do not retire on serving Christ. What a blessing. Brother Herbert to have you with us week after week. Be willing to come and read scripture and to share with us today. Do not retire. You might retire from change your work and your vocation, but for the purpose, maybe for the purpose of greater service to the Lord. There's a man in this congregation getting ready to retire, just ready to step, going to assume 
uh, being a teacher of a Sunday school class, one of our adult classes, wants to use his life and use more of his time to serve the Lord, to serve the church. God uses and works in all places, works through all lives, all ages. And then in verses 28 and 30, Luke shifts to Gabriel's greeting. Verse 28, here he is, an angel. Angelos is their actual word. It means a messenger. That's what the word angel means, messenger. If you go back through the Bible, angels were created as God's servants, and throughout Scripture, they're per pictured performing various tasks for God, always in accordance with his will, and in this case, to deliver a message from God. Again, significant to note. 400 years had previously passed and God had not spoken to anyone. From Malachi to the time, the writing of the New Testament, there was no word from the Lord. Can you imagine that today? That God doesn't speak, there was no word to anyone for 400 years? Prior to this time of silence, the prophet Amos, if you know your Bible, he actually, the prophet Amos, that there was coming a famine on God's people. And he says a famine was coming upon them. This was his prophecy. It wasn't a famine of bread or lack of food, but Amos says there is a famine coming for hearing the word of the Lord. God will not speak. And so 400 years it had passed, and finally God is breaking the silence. The obvious fact is God pierces the silence. He speaks. The First the angel delivers that message to Zechariah, and and you remember Zechariah's response to God's word in his life? Kind of makes us think and consider what, what's my response when I hear God's word. How did Zechariah respond? Do you remember? He argues with the angel, and his response to what God says is going to transpire is unbelief. There's no way. I'm an old man. God, God certainly is not able to do that. Then the angel responds back to him, well, listen, old man, let me tell you who I am. I'm Gabriel. I've just been standing in the presence of God, and I was sent to deliver God's message to you. So take that, old man. And then six months later, God, in the second time in 400 years, speaks through the angel again, delivers a word, a message to Mary. Mary, God's grace is upon you. You found favor with God. It's kind of the idea, I, I kind of get the idea when it says God's favor, God's grace. It was kind of, Mary, God's smiling upon you. God's smiling. God, God takes delight in you. God's pleased with you, Mary. You and I might be prone to read chapter 1 and conclude that God chose Zechariah because he was a priest. He was a religious professional. He was righteous. He was keeping of all God's commandments and was blameless. So that's the kind of person that God's used, is right? The, the priests, the Zacharias. God, God uses people who are good, like, like that guy. But not so. That's not the case. Mary is a kind of ordinary person, pretty unknown. She doesn't belong. She doesn't grow up in a priestly family, but she's chosen. What's the message say? 
Mary, God's grace, his favor is upon you, smile upon you. And Mary, God has chosen you to be exalted among all women, pure because of God's grace, purely because of his goodness. You remember the apostle Paul when he shared his testimony? He was called according to God's grace to be a chosen instrument. And if you remember at the time when God calls him and calls him out, he's a murderer, a persecutor of the church. He referred to himself as the greatest among all sinners, the chief. No one could sin like I could sin, was Paul's testimony. A couple of weeks ago, I had a, the opportunity to spend a little time with our son. We took a road trip together and drove up to Indianapolis and spent an evening and afternoon together. And while we were driving, we were talking together and kind of catching up a little bit on things that were going on in his life and my life. He made a statement to me about his life that things were going pretty well. He began to reflect on some things, but then he also went on and he said, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes. I've made some mistakes, Dad. And then he made a comment about me, about being a good man. And the way he said that to me sounded like he viewed me as a better man than him. So my first reaction was I thanked him for his confidence and told him again that what he and Abby and Elizabeth and Emily thought about me as their dad and Mindy was the most important thing to me on this earth other than what God thinks of me. And I know they trust me and respect me and love me dearly and I do them. And yes, I may do a lot of good works, doing, trying to do good things with my life, but I res responded firmly back to Andrew. I don't want you to think for one minute, not for one minute, that I am a better man than you are, nor any man. I am a sinful man with a strong active, sinful nature. And I, as your dad and as a man, am prone to 1 John 2.16. I am prone to the temptations of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And apart from God's grace as your dad, apart from his favor and mercy in my life, I'm absolutely confident that my life today would look much different than it looks. In fact, it's not easy, it's not hard for me to believe that my life would be in trouble 
Apart from God's grace in my life, I'm not sure that my marriage would be the way that it is. I'm not sure apart from God's grace that my family would be, that my work would be, that relationships with other people would not be as they are today apart from God's grace in my life. In fact, everything and anything good in me and in my life or through me, any good gifts, any good works are all because of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're all because of his grace, his mercy, and his favor, and his kindness and goodness towards me. God has been good to me. Hillcrest, those are not just pious sounding words. They are heartfelt. They are not Christian rhetoric. I believe that my life would look very different apart from God's grace. A big sinfulness because I know the carnal man that lurks inside of me and I understand that more all of the time as I mature in Christ. Some of you might go to lunch today, have a conversation. Oh my, oh my, I wonder about Pastor Charlie. What do you think he's hiding? Did you hear what he said today? It makes me wonder, is he living, living some kind of compartmentalized, separate kind of life? Yeah, I know, he sounded pretty scary to me today. Do you think he, they really checked on his reference before they brought him in? I, I don't think he should be saying that kind of stuff from the pulpit. I wonder what people are going to think about our church and our pastor when he says th those kinds of things. Well, if you're wondering, let me be clear. My testimony, testimony resonates with Romans 7. Oh, wretched man. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me from this body of death? And then it rejoices in Romans 8 who can deliver me from sin and flesh and the body of death I thank Christ Jesus my Lord that there is therefore now no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit do you resonate with that I hope so I was talking to a a man Friday night on the phone, he lives in Louisville, and over the last several years he's become my friend. His name is Jim. He's 50 years of age. For the first 30 years of Jim's life, from 18 to around 50 or so, he drank. And he drank more and more and more, and alcohol took a hold of his life. He was an alcoholic, a functioning alcoholic. Jim had two kids, a daughter and a son. Because of his alcoholism, he lost his wife, his marriage, estranged from both kids, and Jim and I became friends. His finances were the mess. He'd lost jobs. And God in his goodness allowed his 16-year-old daughter to begin attending our church. I'd never met her dad. I'd never met Jim. And then God in his providence did something pretty, pretty amazing. It wasn't coincidental. Jim moved into the house across the street from us where we lived. And we met and gradually got to know each other. His daughter continued to attend the church and after got to know him a little bit, and uh, he had an awesome Mustang GT and had all kinds of work done in Lord and special rims, and I mean, it was 
pretty snazzy looking. And I, our son has an old, uh, uh, old uh, Mustang as well. And so I went over and kind of connected with him through the car. And we got to talk, became friends, and invited him over for a, was grilling some burgers. So he came over and ate a hamburger with Mindy and I. Then after a while, he showed up for church. A few weeks went by, didn't really invite him to church. He just found out who I was and what I did and found out his daughter was attending there, so he slipped in. He later told me, I never felt comfortable attending church. I always felt people were judging me. But he told me, he said, I never felt that from you. Jim began attending AA, continued attending our church. We started meeting every week. We got together at a little coffee shop, and he would bring his Bible, and I'd read my Bible, and we started working through the scriptures, and we talked, and that went on for two years. And three years ago, I, when Mindy and I moved away, he and I continued to stay in contact. We text regularly, but Friday night, we talked on the phone. He gave me an update. God has just dramatically turned his life around. And he said, Charlie, I want to send you a picture I want to send you a picture. I came across this, and he said, and it describes my life as an alcoholic, as a sinner. You have that? You pull that up. You see that picture? He said, that picture has come to mean a lot to me. For 30 years, I beat myself up with that hammer, full of shame and guilt. And he said, the Lord Jesus Christ was with me the whole time. And I didn't know it. It's grace. It's grace. A sinful man, an alcoholic, saved, life transformed by the grace and the goodness and the kindness of God. God help us today. God have mercy on us today if we ever get to a place and we begin to think that we are better than that person or we're better than that person. Because the fact is anything that's good about us, anything that's noteworthy or praiseworthy or good, if there's anything like that about us, you know what? All credit, all credit should go only to the Lord. And I wonder, I wonder if men like Jim, if they stumbled into the church, if they would feel judged or accepted and loved. Say, brother, we're glad you're here. This is a place you need to be. This is a place for sinners who trust and look to the Lord Jesus Christ and are grateful to his grace. We are redeemed entirely by the grace of God. Paul described it best. I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me in the life today that I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The truth is, any time the old man, the old Charlie fights up to the surface and the flesh rises up and those old desires fight to take control, I know this, the outcome is not going to be good. Things that might be said will not be good. Attitudes and actions and motives will not be very pastoral. In fact, none of you, nor do I, like the old Charlie. He causes problems every time he rears up. He creates messes and causes problems. But God, but God. For Zacharias, 
Elizabeth, Mary, and Joseph, God's message to them was all due to grace. And I want to say this to every man, every woman this morning, if you're here today and you've sinned and you've made mistakes and fallen short of the glory of God, you're in good company. And I would say to you, stop condemning yourself. Stop beating yourself up with a hammer, a self-condemnation hammer of shame and guilt and remorse. Stop living in your sin. Turn around, repent, and trust the Lord. Trust Christ. God is calling you and is convicting you. And praise God if he convicts you. And I would invite you to confess and surrender your life to Christ. Last Monday evening, I had a privilege of spending a couple hours with Ray Cox, sitting back there. As we finished what we were doing together, we sat in the driveway, Ray began to share his testimony, how God had worked in his life. It was pretty powerful, and I was very intrigued by it. He was talking about his life before Christ, and and then became curious how that change, how that transformation occurred, and he explained that, and, and here's what he said to me, Brother Roy, pretty close quote. He said, I began to realize that God had called me, and I was living under conviction, and I felt compelled that I had to surrender my life to Christ. That's good. <laughs> That's really good. I began to understand that God is call was upon my life. The Spirit was convicting me, and I needed to change. I needed to surrender my life to Christ. From verse 29, Mary doesn't understand the angel's greeting. She's deeply troubled, trying to figure out, trying to comprehend what God is doing, what God is saying, trying to understand, chosen by God, favored, trying to put it all together. Some of you this morning, are not living for Christ the way you should. And I'm saying this to you as God's messenger, just, just saying it to you in love. Some of you are kind of playing games with God. You got one fence, one foot over on this side, and you got another foot over on this side, and you're straddling the fence, and you've yet to come to a place where I'm going to surrender. I'm going to surrender completely, abandon everything in my life to Christ and to make him preeminent. More important than my wife, more important than my marriage, more important than my kids, more important than my career, my work. I'm going to make Jesus Christ preeminent in my life. And anything less than that is playing with God. It's just playing around. Don't write yourself off as too young or too old. God can't use you. Stop making excuses and just lay everything down and trust Christ. That's what Mary does in the text. Let it be so to me, Lord, according to your word. She doesn't understand. I don't think she understands what all, even when she gets this explanation from the angel Gabriel. Do you think that, and he explains to her the incarnation. Do you think she understood that even after he explained it? That Almighty God is going to take on human flesh and the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, will come upon you, and you will bear God's Son, a virgin, 
Never known in a man, and then you'll conceive. Matthew 1, 21 says, and he will save his people from his sins. Their sins, do you think she, even after the explanation, she grasped it? And then it gets worse. Then when he says, and he explains the Trinity. God the Father has done, the Holy Spirit will work this way, and you'll bear Jesus, the Son of God. You think that made, the that, made that doesn't make any more, I'm not sure I can explain the Trinity adequately. To, to explain the incarnation? I mean, if you just back up and you try to explain the incarnation and the Trinity to someone that doesn't have spiritual understanding, I, I mean, really, you think about it, it doesn't make any sense. Logically, that God would take on human flesh because he loves us and he cares about us and he would become fully man, fully God and would die a perfect sacrifice on a cross as God fully able to be that perfect sacrifice to atone for sin and as man that he fully identifies with us in all points as we have been tempted without sin? I'm not sure Mary understands it even after all the explanation, but Mary's response is uh, she trusts the Lord. She trusts the Lord. Let me close. There's going to be things that happen in your life if you live long enough. And there are men and women, families in this church who have dealt with some real difficult life circumstances in this congregation. Who've, who know what it's like to feel despair, experience losses, diagnoses, and know what it feels like to, to hurt and to grieve. And yet today they're here. They may not have all the, under, all the answers to why it happened, can't understand it, can't, un, can't even explain why God allowed things like this or why things have transpired in life. But they're here today and they're trusting in the Lord and they believe in the Lord, and they're continuing to worship. Look forward to the day, as Paul described in 1 Corinthians 13. You remember he, do you remember he said, uh, in this life, we're going to see a lot of things through dark glass. Through dark glass. You, you know, these, uh, some of these cars, you know, where they get the windows tinted, they pull up next to you, you can't even see if anybody's in there, but you know there is. You can't see through the dark glass. Lacking understanding, without explanation, don't have all the, the answers to all of life's questions, but they're continuing to trust and worship the Lord because he's worthy and he's in control and we rest that he is working all things together for our good even when we don't understand it. I love Mary's faith response, don't you? God, I don't understand all of this, but let it be to me according to your word. Let my life be aligned with your word. Let me walk in your truths, walk in your commands, keeping, keeping faith and trust in you. And God, you do with me as you will. I invite you to pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word.
and all of it was written for our instruction, for our benefit. Teach us more about you and your faithfulness and goodness and kindness. Help us to better understand ourselves and our hearts. Teach us, Lord, how to live for you, how to live life as it was intended to be lived. And we thank you, Lord, that even through all of the dark glass that you're still there, worthy of our trust and our worship. Strengthen our faith. We don't know the future, but you do, and you control it. Teach us to rest in you, to live by faith, to trust in you, to believe in your word. Help us to stir up others, to stir their faith up in greater measure for you. Let that be true of us as a congregation, as we serve others, and that you would do those very things. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.